A bad bitch takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by FTX US, the most complete crypto and finance app to buy and sell crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. You can trade NFTs with no fees, track your entire portfolio, and use a crypto-friendly debit card at millions of retailers. Plus, they're even launching stocks. Download the FTX US app by going to the link in the description and using the code BADBITCHES to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, link in the description. Use code BADBITCHES to sign up so we can start investing and break the crypto boys club. Welcome, bad bitches. Today, I'm here with Nadia from Pussy Riot, a Russian feminist protest and performance art group that gained global notoriety when they staged a protest against the Russian Orthodox Church leader's support for Putin during his election campaign in 2012. Nadia was arrested and served two years in jail. And today... She has been released and she has been nonstop and she is using crypto to fight for gender equality. This year, she launched Unicorn Dow, a cryptocurrency investment fund, and she sees the move as a new phase for her as a leader building the feminist future she's been fighting for since she was a teenager. Nadia, welcome to the Bad Bitch Empire. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about your background. It's so interesting. I mean, just growing up in Russia and what the political environment was like and how you really found your voice and formed Pussy Riot and and really made that your life's mission to fight for gender equality. Um, When I was growing up, first 10 years of my life were amazing. I love them. Uh, It was years of um, actual democracy in Russia. It was uh, the 90s wild times a lot of people dislike it because it was economically unstable but I was a kid so it didn't touch me directly and I would just go with my dad to rock festivals and raves and galleries and museums and I was aware that it was a renaissance of gay culture and queer culture um, and and so that's where I was growing up and we believed that everything is possible uh, the world is our oyster and we can build a new world here once Soviet Union collapsed. So then Putin came to power. He came to power in, in 2000. Um, and that was the beginning of the end. And that's where I was 10 years old. And it started gradually, but um, he destroyed independent media. He started to jail his political opponents. Uh, and that's where... Um, you know, like being a teenager, looking at all of that, and actually comparing with my previous, um, with my previous experience in the '90s, um, it was a striking difference. And I wanted Russia to be part of Europe. I wanted, like, as a lot of people in the '90s, I wanted Russia to join European Union at some point. And we were on the way there. And then Putin came and destroyed it and turned it upside down. Um, so when I was 14, 15, I started to realize um, that I want to become a political activist, that I want to be a philosopher and artist. And also I wanted to be a journalist, but um, I quickly figured out that it's really difficult to find places that are not censored. So I decided to be an artist instead, um, and it put me on a word pass um, that I'm following up until today. 
Got it. And can you tell us about the experience of protesting and doing so publicly? Because I know that just defying the odds and really putting yourself out there is, I mean, it's a big risk, right? And you took that risk. What is it that really drove you? And and can you share what that experience was like? Mm -hmm. When you prepare for a protest, um, especially if it's a political performance art piece, you have to calculate um, not just what you're going to do, but also what the context and what the surroundings that are going to bring you. And you have to calculate it and make it inform your actions. Um, It's completely different from creating an art piece in a gallery or a museum environment because you control pretty much everything. You don't control public perception, but you control 100% what you do. So it's not, it wasn't the case for us. Never. Uh, we would always get arrested or beaten or some other fun stuff. And we would have to learn to work under pressure. And during our rehearsals, we would like one group would separate into groups and one group plays cops and another group plays us and how would we perform how do we continue to perform even though they try to grab us they try to arrest us and we would learn how to keep performing if some of us got arrested but like would still try to pick up the energy and continue to perform so it's a lot of technical issues um not a lot of time to think about emotions honestly because and i think you mostly work through your emotions your fears before you commit to an action and then once you commit to an action you ideally do not pay that much attention on emotional side um you can reflect on it later and i think it's good to reflect on it later to just for the sake of your own mental health but while you prepare the action while you execute it um you should focus just on technical details to make sure that it's delivered in the best possible fashion and this almost like quasi military approach um taught me a lot. I started to be to, to making these actions really early on. I was 17 years old when I started it. And I think it, it shaped me into a person who I am today. So it helps me to, to work through my fears because I deliver, I, 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 I give myself certain time to work through my fears because just simply moving, trying to move them out of the picture doesn't help. You're just going to be suppressing them and they're going to appear sometime later in your life and even can become ill because of that so you give yourself time to work through your fears and then once that stage is done you move on to something else and I think I started to apply the same philosophy to pretty much everything I do these days even if it's not connected directly to performance uh, political performance art what are what are some of the key fears that you had to work through in order to to really be your best at some of these protests? Um, to be shot, to be thrown to jail, to be thrown chemical liquid in your face that can dissolve your face. And also fears of your friends potentially being um, jailed or murdered. I had people with who I worked with murdered before by um, by you know, people hired by the government, by neo-Nazis. Um, so it's a heavy... It's a heavy world I'm living in. So this is like one part, external fears um, and internal fears, like fear of like just so simple performance anxiety that we all have. And it doesn't matter where you're at. Like if you're fighting with Putin or you just simply gone on stage to deliver a keynote at the conference, you still um, face the same fears and 
yes, I would say those two two big groups of fears. It's obviously a very big burden that you're carrying. What is it that is you know deep inside of you that um, feels it's your duty to to really carry that burden and do this work? Um, I don't like to um, go back. I don't like to give up. Uh, once I decide to do something, I'm most likely going to follow through, and uh, because I think like that's what constitutes a life that you want to, you know, like when you're in your deathbed and you look back what you've done in your life. So just being consistent and following through what he once decided, I think that's what constitutes life that you're actually proud of that moment before you die. Um, Also, simple things like um, almost like calculations, if you you may say that. Um, So for example, when I'm in jail and I'm um, my prison guards told me that your life is going to be so much easier if you're going to give up, if you're going to, um, you know, like get a snitch on your um, other colleagues who are not caught yet. And so we can arrest them and put them in jail. If you're going to say that you are actually not against Vladimir Putin, that it was a mistake, your life is going to be so much easier. But, you know, simple calculations make me think that, you know, I spent already seven years of my life coming to this point. Right now, it's really difficult. But if I'm going to turn against myself, then I'm just not simply going to throw away uh, respect of my colleagues, but also those seven years that were leading up to this moment. And I think it's something that can be translated to pretty much any any challenging time, like even when it comes to um, not necessarily the prison experience, like a difficult time at running business. Like you can give up, but also you can you can think about everything that brought you in the first place to this this moment and all the energy that you contributed and all the beautiful energy of other people who worked with you on this. And it like almost every time it's worth to power through because there is something there is something better coming after. And how did the time in prison really shape you? What what was that day-to-day experience like? Um, I went through 12 different jails, so it was a completely different experience in um, each one of them. But I guess the most interesting one for to share will be that moment when I was subjected to slave labor. And um, you wake up, you perform some... Uh, perform some job in just your unit, you clean something, you shovel, you um, do lots of stuff. You dig you dig trenches sometimes, and then you go to a factory and then you, um, you're forced to produce police uniforms. And then it lasts uh, for 16 hours, and then you come back exhausted, and it just uh, continues over and over again, uh, and there is no day off, so... Just really every day is the same. Hmm. And how has that really made you stronger as a woman, as a leader, as you are, you know, thinking about the work that you're doing now? It made me more dedicated. It made me really efficiency oriented. Hmm. I like to go straight to the point. I don't like to, um, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's made me value my own time and time of other people more uh, because you know how fragile it is. It can be easily taken away from you. So for two years, my life completely didn't belong to me. It belonged to someone else. It belonged to the government. So I know how fragile this moment in life that we're living through right now and how dope it is that we can actually do whatever the fuck we want. 
Um, so it actually not just made me stronger, but it broke me a lot. Um, it, I got a PTSD. I got a major depressive disorder. Um, and I'm still struggling with depression. I'm on meds. And um, it's it's not like all butterflies and roses. Um, it definitely shaped my mind in a way that um, that is really really unique. I think because difficult times they they make you they make you stronger and more dedicated to what you do. But also at the same time, I would not wish it to anyone else. I think the same thing could be achieved with um, much. <laughs> And you can achieve the same level of dedication without necessarily going to jail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what was that experience like when you uh, were released? Um, just like that emotional, mental experience. I was depressed for uh, a year. So I didn't really feel anything. It was like, it was just a heavy depression. I was still doing a lot of stuff. So I was, uh, I was functional. I was diagnosing giving speeches at um, European Parliament, at British Parliament, in uh, United States Senate. I started uh, a media company that became one of the biggest media, independent media companies in Russia these days. Um, and so I've done a bunch of stuff, but like, if you ask me how I feel, I felt literally nothing. And it's the ultimate horror because to me, depression manifests not, not, not in necessarily feeling bad. It manifests in feeling nothing and wanting nothing. Now you've really leveraged crypto and you've dived into the world of Web3. What is it about Web3 that really excites you and and like really can forward this journey in terms of the feminist future that you want to see? Uh, to me, Web3 is about ownership. And uh, it's been too long for us not owning our data and fruits of our labor in, uh, in the digital sphere. And I think Web3 revolutionizes that. It um, lets us to own whatever we create um, digitally. Um, and that's honestly pretty insane to me that I could be working on on a tech centralized tech platform for years and years and years and years and creating content for them, for them to take profits and use it uh, to advertise stuff for people and then just being kicked out for, for something. Like for, um, I mean, quite frankly, even for having pussy in my name, I've been censored many times on, I mean, I'm still censored in Shadow Band just because I have pussy in my name on uh, every major um, tech platform. Um, and it's been happening not, it's, it wasn't overnight changes, but, you know, since like for the last 10 years, you can see how rules are becoming stricter and stricter because they want to become more advertisement friendly because that's the main revenue stream for them. And I think this model brings us into nowhere because it's not just me but I know a lot of friends of mine who just lost access to their accounts uh, for some stupid reasons for example Russian bots that are paid by Kremlin they um, they basically DDoS attack <laughs> with um, with complaints they attack like let's say meta and they delete your Instagram profile because of that and people lose their businesses and it's like really detrimental so I think I think what Web3 brings is like just more and more confidence in uh, in your tomorrow. So you launched Unicorn DAO, but prior to that, you launched Ukraine DAO, which was a fundraising campaign that racked up almost seven million in cryptocurrency donations in less than a week. Can you tell me about the transition from Ukraine DAO and how that inspired Unicorn DAO and where you are today? 
Well, actually, I was working on Unicorn DAO prior to Ukraine DAO. Ukraine DAO happened just um, quickly as a reaction to the war. Um, and Unicorn DAO is something that we worked on since November of last year. So, yeah, it's just it's been a long way making. And Ukraine DAO was a quick, um, you know, hit, disperse, run quite a, um, a moment. But we were able to leverage a lot of those connections that we were able to get in uh, Web3 while building Unicorn. And Unicorn is an ongoing story that is part of my identity. Um, Ukraine DAO was amazing. Um, and we were able to raise $7 million just in a few days. And I think what was really important that people from countries like Russia were able to send money to Ukraine. Um, when you use traditional banking system, unfortunately, it's not possible because uh, your bank account is, would just get frozen. And you said the Unicorn DAO. So let's let's talk about what is the mission of Unicorn DAO. What does it actually do, and how is it empowering more women in the crypto space? Our job in Unicorn DAO is to collect art. Unicorn DAO uh, collects art by women, non-binary people, and LGBTQ plus people. Uh, and we are trying to move the needle on statistics um, of 5%. Um, it was statistics that uh, shocked everyone. Only 5% of total NFT sales are done by women, identified people. And that's not right. That's not equal. And also, it's not a good start for building a cultural movement. Because I do believe that NFTs are bring, it's a basically a revolutionary cultural movement. And it cannot be done if, if it's, I mean, it can be done if it's not equal, but it's not going to be fruitful beautiful and you're not going to be able to leverage um actually on what what um what bigger um cultural field can bring to you so we're trying to uh, motivate more women to come to this space um and help existing artists to develop their practice and blossom yeah how are you explaining Web3 or DAOs to women who are not yet in the space, you know, because I think it can be a really complicated topic if you haven't gotten that education. It's uh, it's all about digital assets and your digital identity and you want uh, you want to own it or otherwise somebody else is going to own it for you. Um, and it's, mm, yeah, so this is how I start and then I just follow, follow with their questions. And I guess it's just, it com- comes down to, what this person exactly is doing. So, for example, if they're an artist, I'm explaining them that it could be an interesting potential for them to escape the middleman. Like, if you are, you know, visual artist, you don't have to necessarily sign with a gallery. You can just interact directly with your audience to get funding from them using um, Web3 technology. If you are a musician, same thing. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go to a record label and make them control you. You can actually have it all in your own hands. As long as you're willing to uh, curate it and like, manage it, because it's definitely not just, it's not as easy um, as it might sound. First, um, it like by deleting middlemen, it, it puts a lot of weight on your own shoulders. Uh, you have to create a good team or you have to be, um, you have to good be good manager and curator, curator yourself. But if you have it in you, then definitely this route is really, um, really promising for you. Yeah. And I mean, I think Web3 is, and just like crypto and blockchain, it really does 
it, it's like perfect for someone like you who has really spent your career, you know, focused on um, political protest against really governments that aren't serving the people, right, and aren't serving women. And so what would you say is your big goal for Unicorn Dow? To enable more people to create art freely. Yeah. And I know one thing that you um, ha- like are, are really a big prom- proponent of is um, like women's bodies, right? Having that expression to really use your body as um, a vehicle of expression and championing the causes that you care about. Um, can you just tell me about how you think about um, the woman's body? And, you know, especially now, I think there's so much conversation around like, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned and abortion. And um, so tell me about like how you think about the woman's body and and the role in society. So I believe that my body equals my choice. And um, it's quite crazy for me to serve two years in Russian jail to just 10 years later to see how women's rights are being taken away from them in another country that's really close to my heart. I have a lot of friends and collaborators and colleagues in the United States, and um, it's sad to see what's happening. So that's why we started LegalAbortion.Ease, which is a wallet that distributes uh, um, crypto donations to seven organizations. One of them is Planned Parenthood. Another one is Center for Reproductive Justice um, and five others, credible organizations. um, And... We created a simple way for crypto-native people to donate their money because Planned Parenthood and others, they still do not have crypto wallets. We, um, Our goal is to work together with Planned Parenthood to make sure that they have this wallet later down the line. But for for now, um, we have this legalabortion.ease where you can donate money and know that 100% of it is going to be dispersed to seven uh, reproductive rights organizations. We also work with artists um, and um, companies on making um, charitable drops where not 100% of those um, go to legalabortion.eth. For example, yesterday we've done a drop with um, John Knopf, an amazing photographer, and uh, he he donates all of the proceeds from his open edition photography to legalabortion.eth. Amazing. So I know that you are short on time. And last question for you, for all the bad bitches who are listening, what does being a bad bitch mean to you? It just means to um, to say whatever you want and um, don't try to be nice just because you have to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nadia. And we're going to bring on Miriam to talk a little bit more about LegalAbortion.eth. Um, but we're so excited to see the future of Unicorn Dow and everything that you're doing and you know, Bad Bitch Empire as a partner in supporting LegalAbortion.eth. Thank you so much. So now we are joined by Miriam. You heard her episode last week. If you haven't heard it, make sure you go back and listen. Miriam has an amazing story, but I was actually connected to Nadia through Miriam and you have been doing an NFT project called Cootery and 
for this half of the episode, I really want to dive into a lot more of the crypto uh, Web3 space and the power of activism in Web3, why it's so important to get women involved. Um, so Miriam, talk to us about how you got involved with Nadia and LegalAbortion.eth um, and what's next and how you're developing this NFT. Yes, totally. Uh, thank you for having me again. <laughs> uh, I'm so pretty much the way I got involved with Nadia and this whole like legalabortion.eth was because I started this collection, Cuteri. And so Cuteri stands for cute uteri. And it's just made up of tons of little like uterus, uh, cute uterus looking NFTs that one's like a boxer and then they're all different colors and they're super cute. Uh, and I created this collection because I... When I heard about the leaked draft for like Roe v. Wade, I was really angry. I was really upset. And one of the main reasons I felt so like hurt by this, especially is just because I felt like I escaped a world where I was oppressed to come to the free world. And then here I am in this free world and I'm feeling oppressed again for being a woman again. And so it's kind of like these emotions that I felt in the past coming back to me. And I didn't want to just sit around and not do anything about it. And so that's why I started Cuteri. Uh, and so I just created this collection really quickly. Uh, and I partnered with one of my friends at Stanford who started an organization for resources uh, for reproductive rights called ProRoad.org. So if you want to learn more about the collection, it's ProRoad.org slash Cuteri. has all the information there. Um, and yeah, so I created this collection and I did a pre-sale with some of the NFTs and then it was doing really well. And I was still figuring out where I was even going to give the money to. And I heard about what Nadia was doing with LegalAbortion.eth and I thought it would be incredible for us to collaborate. Awesome. Um, so... Let's talk a bit more about just like the role of women in Web3, because first of all, I think there's a lot of listeners who may not even fully grasp what Web3 is. Um, how would you describe it for the total beginner? I think it's very intimidating whenever people talk about Web3, the space like NFTs, blockchain, crypto, all these terms seem so complex and so new to so many people. And I just want to like say to everybody that it's okay if you don't understand these terms. They really don't matter too much. It's not really about what they are and how they work that matters, but it's more about what you can do with them that matters. I think like we don't really need to understand how, to com how a computer works to use it. It's only what we can do with a computer that gives us value. And so I think that's just something to keep in mind that if you never really understand how an NFT works, that's okay. You don't need to. So that's just one thing I want to say. Uh, and so just on top of that, what you can do with Web3, which is cool, which is like, that's where I think is really interesting, is that it provides trust and technology that never really existed before. Because we always had to rely on some sort of centralized organization to guarantee that something has happened in a digital space. For example, like if you send money to somebody in a different part of the world, you go do that through a bank usually. And then they guarantee, they say the money was sent. That's, that's you trusting the bank that the money was sent. And then you find out that somebody received it. So Web3 is kind of this technology that takes out the middleman. And you know that when you use it, the money will always be sent. And that's what's really powerful about it is that you don't need a middleman to have trust. So that's like one really big thing about Web3. Uh, and then the term Web3 itself just apply, like pretty much means applying this technology to the internet and kind of creating a new internet with this underlying technology. So that's a quick introduction. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's why like there's terms like trustless, permissionless technology. And it is exactly what you said, like the idea that you don't need to trust a middleman. And most of the time, these middlemen are old, white, wealthy men who have controlled the financial system for God knows how long. And um, that means that women non-binary, underrepresented, the non-wealthy have always been left on the sidelines. And so like we are in a financial system and a political system and really, you know, just entirely just society, one that doesn't serve us. And I think like that's why um, it's so important to talk about issues like the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I mean, I was just reading about like just how even Texas has been considering like the death penalty for women who, you know, are, are, are going through abortion because it's like the homicide of, you know, the, the, the fetus. And, and it was just like, I read that and I was like, holy shit, what, what are we living in? <laughs> like what yeah. dystopian like world are we living in? And it just like, I think reading that was and then like on top of that, like the shooting, the mass shooting that happened on July 4th. And it's like we are really in a society that just is not here to protect you know, anyone besides like the people who have always been protected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if you've seen the TV show, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and just that, like, I remember I watched with my mom and to me and her, it was kind of just a cautionary tale, you know, something that could potentially happen. If you think about it, the world is not the majority, the free world is a minority of the entire world. Majority of women, especially, aren't free. You know, they're forced to cover their bodies and like on a global scale. Uh, and so I think that we definitely can't take this freedom um, like in a, for advantage and we have to do things about it whenever it gets challenged. And so, you know, we have to understand that this is not common and that we're really lucky to have these many rights. Yeah. Just like that, always remembering that blessing, I think is also so important. And also like what motivates me to like continue speaking out even when it's uncomfortable. And I think just like hearing Nadia's story as well, which is taking it to a whole different level where she's talking about overcoming fears of, you know, getting thrown in jail, fear of like acid being thrown in your face and your face getting melted off and fear of getting beaten by the police. It's like, wow, that's like truly, you know, physical assault and like fear of something beyond just, I think what sometimes in, you know, first world problems, like fear of people not liking your Instagram post or something. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that we just see happening in web three in blockchain is again, like women are not participating. We're not investing. We're not um, building. And so I was reading about how women still invest in NFTs at um, half the rate that men are. So then there's a lot of risk that the same income disappar- disparities, the same gender wage gap that exists offline in the real world is going to go straight into the metaverse. And people talk about this metaverse being like, you know, this utopian place. And I'm like, no, like women, um, again, not non-binary, um, like we are not going in there. It is not friendly and it is not catering towards the needs that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's another reason why for me, I actually 
could have like technically I could have just created a GoFundMe page, you know, or a Kickstarter saying like, I want to raise this money for reproductive uh, organizations. But the reason that I did it uh, through an NFT collection is because I want to bring more women into the space. And so on my collection on like OpenSea, it has a link to an article that explains how to get a crypto wallet. And I actually wrote this Medium article where women can learn how to get crypto wallets and then also put in their wallet address and then get a Cuteri airdrop to them. So a lot of the the uh, NFTs listed are for like some money. So like some money is going to reproductive rights organizations, but a lot of them are also free and they're free just because I want to get more women involved. And I think that this is a great way to do it because it's for a cause they care about. And it's just like to get their feet wet and just to own an NFT right off the bat. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's so important for to get more women involved into the space. So do you think that the best way to get women involved is through NFTs or do you see something else? I mean, like, I do see something else. I think that this is just one way that maybe is easier for the common person just to do it like on the side. But for me, my dream is to have more women involved as entrepreneurs and as like founders and builders, because right now what's happening in the space is that most of the companies that are really taking off in Web3 are building infrastructure. So they're designing like pretty much the roads and the buildings and the the utility and electricity of the system. And we all know that there's flaws in like how PG&E runs, you know, and how like these systems, these powerful systems are. And so it's so important that women are a part of these conversations, part of the conversations where the building blocks of this infrastructure lies. So we're not left out of the conversation and we're not ignored when these technologies really take off and really exist. Yeah. And I mean, I think about all the bias, you know, the AI bias that we see, it's like the people who build it bias the system. And so it's like, that's going to happen as well in, in web three, if women aren't participating. I mean, I think another just like big part of this conversation is around the body, right? So it's like, um, we were talking about pussy riot, then we're talking about legal abortion. Um, last week on your episode, we talked about, you know, the social experiments that you're doing with your body. Um, how do you think that Web3 can really change societal norms, even around like women's agency um, with their bodies, with their boundaries? Well, for one, in terms of reproductive rights, there's actually a lot right now that I'm just talking about people like in the space with kind of like ways for women to access abortion pills through uh, decentralized like DeFi websites. So they can kind of just um, be more anonymous and get what they need. Like let's say if they're in Texas or like really harsh uh, like states. And so that's something that Web3 can provide to help women in their bodies, you know, like with anonymity, which is really interesting. Uh, and then another thing is just like community building. There's just so many ways that women can just build communities in these spaces. Uh, once again, with a non anonymity, if they need that, uh, and then they can get access to resources in like ways they haven't been able to get access before. So I think those are some things. But honestly, I don't know. I really haven't thought about it too much. So I don't know. I'm sure there's so many other ways too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of anonymity is also really powerful when you just think about like how much cyberbullying happens or even the uh, like sexism, like as simple as, you know, in writing emails, if you have a female name, there's so many studies about how like men will respond in a more condescending way just because the email sender is a woman and assume she's not the boss. And um, and this potential of Web3, like if you're using avatars, like you can really be whoever you want to be. And it's more about what you bring to the table, not just, you know, what you look like. Yeah. Yeah. No, on speaking on that, actually. So have you heard of Glitch Feminism Feminism by Legacy Russell? Mm -mm, No. It's really, it's this really interesting read. I definitely recommend it. Um, She's like this feminist academic who wrote this manifesto about, um, The idea of the glitch and what the glitch is, is pretty much somebody using a technology in a way that they shouldn't be, you know, Uh, and just like taking ownership of that and taking ownership of the tech by doing that. And a lot of women tend to do this, especially with avatars. And so like they get to create avatars that don't look like them and they get to exist in this online digital space in a way that they want to exist and they want to represent themselves in a way that's less biased and more fair. And so I definitely think that Web3 provides that. That's the norm in the space, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that makes me think about the metaverse. And so for those listening and don't really even know what the metaverse is, it's just this conversation around like digital land. People are buying digital real estate and it's like if you're looking in from the outside, it's like why in the world would anyone, you know, buy digital real estate versus like IRL real estate. So um, but the metaverse is another place where like it's just like you look at the aesthetic of it and it's like worse than a second life game, like worse than some like video games back in the 90s even. And so it's like when you look at it from a um, from a coder's perspective and also as a feminist perspective, like what is the importance of the metaverse and how do more women start participating? Like it, do they go into the main metaverses that exist right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I actually think that right now the metaverses that exist are not inclusive towards women at all, honestly. Uh, Right now, majority, I think it's like over almost 90% of people involved in the space are men. I think like 80 something percent. Uh, And to get access into the metaverses, you have to have a crypto wallet to join. So already right there, that's a barrier to entry, you know, because women don't have crypto wallets. So how can they join in the metaverse if if they don't even have that? Uh, So that's one issue that's huge that just prevents so many women from getting involved in these spaces. Uh, Another thing is just, as you said, the graphics. The graphics are terrible. And if you think about it, one of the most like Sandbox, for example, uh, they are a voxel based uh, gaming system, which means that it's all just like Lego pieces. That's what the world is built upon. And it's in a way it is. There's a reason why they do that. It makes it easy for anybody to kind of create a space in their metaverse because it's just like Lego pieces. That's like how Minecraft works. It's the same uh, system that Minecraft uses. But also Minecraft. Mostly boys use Minecraft, you know? Girls aren't in these spaces. Girls want, women want better graphics. They want clean looks, nice aesthetics, uh, comfortable feel. And that isn't provided in these metaverses, which I think is extremely unwelcoming and very problematic. Uh, And so for a metaverse to get better, 
for one, if you look at the teams of people building these things, they're not women. Uh, the people that they're partnering, these metaverses are partnering with, like they're not women either. It's like Snoop Dogg um, had like probably the biggest partnership with Sandbox, uh, things like that. And so I think genuinely because women aren't a part of this conversation, the metaverses aren't being made for them at all. Um, and so it is very problematic uh, and somebody has to do something about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's why that's why we're all here, right? I think having this conversation is really important and there isn't like a one size fits all solution, but I think just like every woman who is launching a project or just even opening up her first crypto wallet or buying her first NFT, it's like all of that does make a difference. Yeah. So, any last words that you would say or just like advice about getting involved in Web3 for any crypto curious women. And um, I know also a lot of people are thinking about should they invest in crypto right now? You know, like we are seeing a lot of speculation on um, and volatility in the crypto headlines. So, you know, from your perspective, how do you think about your investment strategy and um, and then finally advice for women entering Web3? Yeah, uh, I would say like, I don't want women making too many risks with their money. And so I wouldn't recommend any large investments whatsoever, unless they do a lot of research and are very intentional about like that, that money that they're putting in. But I do hundred percent recommend just people just making a crypto wallet and going onto these like NFT marketplaces and just seeing what the fuck is going on because there's just so much talk about this. And it's actually very simple to educate yourself with just the baseline of things very quickly. You still, and my advice is really to not get stressed by the big lack of knowledge that like a lot of women I think feel there's just so much to learn. It's too intimidating. So they just don't go there. I would say just do these three things. Get a crypto wallet. You don't have to understand how it works. Go to OpenSea, Rarible, Zora. Those are like really big NFT marketplaces. Take a look at them. Zora has like a lot of female representations. I would even check that one out, that marketplace. And then just search around, browse around and see if there's any like female art that you think is cool. Maybe you'll find something that's $10 worth, you know, and maybe buy that and just see what that process is like. And that's it. You know, I think just by doing those three things, you already are a part of the crypto community. Uh, and so that's what I would recommend to women, just to really open up the door and see what's out there. Awesome. Yeah. Having skin in the game. Um, the moment you have skin in the game, even if it's just $10, $10, it's like you start paying attention. And I think it's like the the power of a woman's attention, like when it's focused, is just um, there's so much that you can do with it. Yeah. A great way to do it is to buy a cuter eye. So it walks you through the entire process and it's all donated. So, yeah. Awesome. So how do women be um, a part? How do they uh, donate to legalabortion.eth if they're interested? And then how do they mint a cuter eye or, you know, mint for those also who don't know, it means purchasing. And so, um, yeah, those two things, how do they, how do they get involved? Yeah. So for donating to legalabortion.eth, if they create a crypto wallet, they can do it directly from their wallet. They can just hit like a button, like send ETH, you know, and then type in legalabortion.eth and just send whatever amount they want. So it's actually very simple. But if they want to do it through a more fun way, like by buying an NFT, then they can just go to like my website, miriamhart.com slash cuteri. And then that'll just like give them all the information they need to just do that too. Awesome. Uh, well, it was great chatting with you again, Miriam, and we will 
keep in touch with everything that we're going to do in terms of continuing to empower women's bodies, our boundaries, and our bank accounts. Exactly. Thank you for having me again. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, tag me at Lisa Carmen Wang, and make sure you check out thebadbitchempire.com for events, courses, crypto, and other cool shit. Thanks for tuning in to The Bad Bitch Empire.